zajistili šilupovú páni a on si vraja, že sme dostali and austerity for each person. And a little bit about insults again, since it's here again. Tantu Printana Thing. Atraha, 
have done. Punaha. Again. Tazmat. Therefore. Location. In all the planetary systems within the universe. Te. Of you. Mudha. Oh rascal, not knowing how to act. Na. Not. Bhavet. There may be. Ramata. Who are wondering? Padam. An abode. So what is Nabavet? Ramata Padam means. What is that last name? Yeah, something like that. Yes, he who's one without an abode, except here it's a curse. So he's saying, you will not, you who are wandering will not have an abode. You, translation of report by Shri Prabhupada. You have made me lose my sons once, and now you have again done the same inauspicious thing. Right? Sometimes we say that to people, I tolerated it once, now you've done it again. Puna, you've done it again. Therefore, you are a rascal. What's the word here for rascal? Muda, you are a rascal who does not know how to behave towards others. Does Daksha know how to behave towards others? <laughs> you may travel all over the universe, but I curse you to have no residence anywhere. A lot of people like to travel, but they also like to come home. He says you can travel, but you can never go home. Purport. Because Prajapati Daksha was a Grihamani who wanted to remain in household life, he thought that if Narada Muni could not remain in one place, but had to travel all over the world, that would be a, great, be a great punishment for him. So Daksha's thinking according to his own position. He thinks if I couldn't come to, because he's a Grihamini. Grihamini? Home. So he's very attached to his home. So he's thinking if Narada doesn't have a home, this will be a big problem for him. It would be a great, great punishment, Prabhupada says. Actually, however, such a punishment is a boon for a preacher. A preacher is known as Parivrajakacharya, an acharya or teacher who always travels for the benefit of human society. So what was bad for Prajapati Daksha was good for him. Do we have a saying like that in English? One man's food is another man's poison. Yes. Prajapati Daksha cursed Narada by saying that although he had the facility to travel all over the universe, he would never be able to stay in one place. And the rest of this purport is, is funny. In the Parampara system from Narada Muni, I have also been cursed, Prabhupada said. Although I have many centers that would be suitable places of residence, I cannot stay anywhere, for I have been cursed by the parents of my young disciples. Since the Krishna consciousness movement was started, I have traveled all over the world two or three times a year. That's a lot of traveling. To go around the world two or three times a year is a lot of traveling. And although I have provided comfortable places to stay wherever I go, I cannot stay anywhere for more than three days or a week. And occasionally, probably stay someplace for a month. I think in Hawaii he stayed for a month to translate. I do not mind this curse by the parents of my disciples. So Prabhupada didn't feel that it was a punishment. But now it is necessary that I stay in one place to finish another task, this translation of Srimad Bhagavatam. Did that ever happen? No, never happened. Tried. As I said, I think he stayed for some time in Hawaii, at least once, maybe twice. And I think also Los Angeles. I just understand translate. You can't be bothered much in Hawaii because kind of like New Zealand, there aren't that many people there to bother you. <laughs> Little rock in the middle of the ocean. If my young disciples, especially those who have taken sannyas, take charge of traveling all over the world, it may be possible for me to transfer the curse of the parents to these young creatures. <laughs> then I may sit down conveniently in one place for the work of translation. Un unfortunately, right, we never got to the point where Prabhupada was here where Prabhupada could just turn over all the management and the preaching to his disciples. 
He kept trying over and over again, but then, you know, we would mess things up. <laughs> and he would have to get involved again, unfortunately. Uh, or fortunately, depending on how one looks at it. I actually, when, when Prabhupada left the planet, I don't think practically any of us believed that he would leave. We all thought he would stay at least till he finished translating the, the Bhagavatam. I mean, the, the, the idea that Prabhupada would leave before translating the Bhagavatam was uh, inconceivable. Tantu kuntanayaminastvam abadvam acharapunaha tasma loke shute muda nabaved bhavatapadam. You have made me lose my son's months, and now you have again done the same inauspicious thing. Therefore, you are a rascal who does not know how to behave towards others. You may travel all over the universe, but I wish you to have no residence anywhere. This is called Atmavan Manite Jagat. I think everybody is like me. And I think what's good for me is good for everybody, and what's bad for me is bad for everybody. Our Vedic system is very individual, and it prescribes different austerities for different people. For different people and for the same person at different times of their life. So this is a very important principle for several reasons. First of all, each of us needs to find as far as possible. We may not be able to control this. But as far as possible, we should try to situate ourselves in a position that's comfortable for us. The story is of Gajendra who's fighting with the crocodile for a thousand years, and the crocodile could eat while he was fighting, which was a pretty good trick because he was fighting with his mouth. So he was able to hold on to Gajendra's foot and eat at the same time. Just a little aside that Prabhupada said that the reason that the crocodile was able to see Krishna was because he was touching the lotus feet of Vaishnava for a thousand years, even though he was biting his foot. And even though Gajendra started out as a kanista adhikari, because he was going to the Lord in distress. So even if you bite the foot of a kanista adhikari, you'll get to see Krishna sooner or later. Just imagine if you serve the feet of an uttama adhikari. Anyway, that's a really side issue. The point is that the crocodile was able to eat while he was having the elephant's foot in his mouth, and Gajendra couldn't eat because he was in the water. Elephants can't eat fish. He was really stuck. You know, he couldn't, he was too far in the water to reach over to shore with his trunk and grab something to eat, so he was starving. And therefore he became weaker and weaker and weaker, and he couldn't get out. So Prabhupada says in that purport that one should be in the ashram. There he's talking about ashram. And this is relating to ashram, but the same applies to varna. One should be in the ashram or varna in which one has the greatest strength to fight against maya. So in order to determine that, one needs to know something about what are the austerities and the pleasures of each varna and ashram, so that one can choose accordingly. Now also, the ashram is generally, one doesn't stay in the same ashram their whole life. Some people stay in the brahmacharya ashram their whole life. Uh, but generally speaking, a person moves through the ashrams. So moving through the ashramas means you have to change your pleasures and your austerities. So one has to know when to change. And this is important, as we were saying before, from Bhaktivinoda by Bhaktivinoda Thakur in regard to the Niyamagraha that Upa Goswami speaks about in the Upadeshamrita. That there are different rules at different levels of advancement. And if you take the rules of the, of the level that you're not on, it's going to be chaos. I mean, it's just a simple example. You know, if I come here to New Zealand and I try to drive on the right side of the road, I'm going to get into an accident. In fact, I almost got into an accident in London like that. I was turning right, and I forgot to, which way I forgot to look, but I didn't look both ways. I only looked one way because I thought cars could only come from one direction. I looked the wrong way and I almost got an accident. So, the, you know, the, just because that's the rule in America doesn't mean it's the rule in New Zealand. And the same, the rules that apply in the Brahmacharya ashram don't apply in the Grahastha ashram, don't apply in the Vanaprastha ashram. The doctor couldn't understand this. Just like he couldn't understand the greater principle 
that his sons had already progressed to the point that they didn't need to go step by step. He couldn't get that either. Now he's he's very atmavanmanyajjaga, very much in his own uh, that I am everything. Everything is like me. I've got to go step by step. So everybody's got to go step by step. My rules apply to Narada. So we have to understand these things first of all to know how to situate ourselves at the present moment, to know how to progress, and to know how to advise others. And finally, we're going to look a little bit in here also about how to give constructive criticism, how Daksha could have handled this matter a little better. Because <laughs> one devotee was commenting to me last week, saying, you're always saying, don't criticize, don't criticize, but what if we think somebody's done something wrong? And from Daksha's point of view, did it seem that Narada had done something wrong? Did he have scriptural backing for his position? Yes, he did. So let's look first of all at, we're going to look mostly actually, at the different ashrams. So what are the pleasures of the Brahmachari ashram? More time to hear and chant. What else? What are the other pleasures of the Brahmacharini? Although traditionally there's no Brahmacharini ashram. We'll count the Brahmacharini. Yes? Hmm? You don't have to work to maintain others. Let's put it positive. That's more a freedom from a distress rather than a pleasure. What are the positive pleasures? Do you like any? What are the positive pleasures of being a Brahmacharini? That it's easier to advance in Krishna consciousness? Something else? Yes? More time to travel and preach. Well, generally the Brahmacharis don't travel. You can associate, that's true, I think, in every ashram, that you can associate with other people on your level. Yes? Oh, you can get to live in the spiritual master's ashram. You can't do that very well as a grahasta, can you? And lots of opportunity for learning. Lots of opportunity for learning. That's one of the main pleasures of the brahmachari ashram, because what's the main duty of a brahmachari? What is the number one duty of a brahmachari? To study. Brahmacharya means you're, you're in school. Traditionally speaking, Brahmacharya life ended at 10 or 12, and then you started training for your livelihood, and it was, it was time to study. So you have lots of opportunity for study, lots of opportunities you're saying to hear and chant. You can live directly with your spiritual master in the spiritual master's ashram. What are some other pleasures of Brahmacharya? Yes. You can just do the nine processes of hearing and chanting pretty much. I mean, you have to do things like take a shower too when you're around. But pretty much you can just do the, the nine processes of devotional service. You don't have to do as much uh, dovetailed. Anything else? Do you have a lot of freedom? I'm not sure. In some freedom, I think what you're, I think the positive pleasure you're talking about is freedom. A sense of freedom. So what is the price you have to pay for that? There's a price. For each ashram there are pleasures, and there's a price. There's sacrifice. Krishna says without sacrifice you cannot live happily in this life on the next. There's sac everything has a sacrifice. So this is what you have to decide, because each of us has already some predestined amount of happiness and distress. Right? You've all heard that? You have a predestined amount of happiness and distress. But what flavor you get it in is up to you. Do you want it in the water? Do you want it in the land? So you can't, you, you can't just, and we're going to really discuss, you can't try to mix and match. What people try to do nowadays is they say, I think I'll take the pleasures of the Brahmacharya Ashram 
without the sacrifices of the Brahmacharya Ashram. I'll take the pleasures of the Grahastha Ashram without the sacrifices of the Grahastha Ashram. Maybe I'll pull a little pleasures from the Sanyasa Ashram with that. You know, that's what people try to do in the modern age. They try to be kind of like a half and half. And they just try to get the good from each, you know, the, what the good, in other words, their sense gratification. They try to get what they're enjoying from each ashram without paying any price. This causes havoc, and you can't make proper advancement in such a situation. Okay, what are the judges of the Brahmacharis? So Brahmacharya has to have very few possessions. That's an austerity. And, and traditionally, no money. Whatever the Brahmachari has, they give to the guru. That may not always be practical for everybody in modern society, but certainly you don't see some Brahmachari, Brahmachari has some big personal bank account, generally speaking. Everything's given to the guru, practically no possession. And living in the guru's ashram generally means you're living communally, right? You don't have so much of your own space. What else does traditional brahmachari life mean in terms of sacrifice? Full celibacy. That means don't think about, don't talk about, don't plan for. It doesn't just mean gross. What to speak of gross. Not subtle either. And not taking subtle enjoyment from the opposite sex. And I'm sorry to say this, but we, we see in ISKCON sometimes that people try to, you know, again, they're trying to, to mix and match. I don't, I'm not going to take the austerities of the Ashram, but I'll get pleasure from the association of the opposite sex. And we've seen this many, 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 many times. You know, some Brahmachari, Sanyasi, Vanipasta, who's getting their energy from the adulation of women, or vice versa. You know, women who are very renounced and they have some subtle emotional relationship going on with a man. So this is very common. So brahmachari means brahmachari. That means you're not taking energy from the opposite sex. If you need energy from the opposite sex to function, you're in the wrong notion. If you can't be enlightened without someone from the opposite sex going, oh, that was a wonderful kirtan, then you're in the wrong notion. You know, you, you, can't, you can't live in the water, you've got to live in the land. You're, you're, getting, you're trying to get your food from the wrong place. So, total selfless. One has to be getting energy in Brahmacharya from one's studies, from Vedic literature, from one's preaching. Another austerity is you, you're totally obedient to Guru. You don't even what without the Guru's permission? Eat. Haven't seen too many Brahmacharis, Brahmacharinis following this. But that's actually the sacrifice. You don't even eat without being called personally. Prabhupada said the prasadam may be sitting there, and unless you're called, you don't eat. If, if, if the guru forgets, it's because at the end of the day, Krishna Dasi never showed up for prasadam. Krishna Dasi never came for prasadam. Oh well, you don't say anything. We talk about being more tolerant than a tree. When the tree doesn't get watered, it doesn't cry. It doesn't say, Help! I'm thirsty! Just tolerates. And that's the Jagya of Brahmacharya life. You're not called eating, you don't eat. And you go out begging on behalf of the Guru. You beg and you give everything to the spiritual master. Okay. So you get, you get freedom. You get a chance to study, you get a chance to hear and chant, you get a chance just to dedicate yourself to the mission and just do the nine processes of devotional service, and then you've got to pay for it. Okay, let's look at the Grahasta Ashram. What are the pleasures of the Grahasta Ashram? Well, how is that a pleasure? Is a pleasure for a woman that she feels safe and secure and protected? Okay. Like, woman has a safety demand. If she wants to go to the house and 
Okay, well, each of the ashrams provides stability and peace of mind for different people or the same person at different times. So the Brahmacharya ashram also provides stability and peace of mind for someone suited for that ashram or for a person who is going to be suited for that ashram at a certain time. But I think what you're saying is the pleasure of the Rahasta ashram for a woman is especially women have an inclination for a home. Do you know why that is? Very simple reason. Because it's the woman who has the children. Kind of hard to take care of your babies outside when they're in the cold. So women have a biological, a biological urge to have a home, to have things, to have extra sets of clothes, to have some money in the bank, because they're the ones who have the children. So the Rahastasra provides some mental peace for a woman. Okay, I have these things. Very difficult for a woman to renounce that tendency. It's very hardwired into the psychology. What are the other pleasures of the, of the Rahastasra? to serve Vaishnavas because the Grihastas are the main ones who engage in hospitality. The, the Grihastas are the main people who engage in deity worship. You are the one, you can offer much charity to your spiritual master and to the Vaishnavas. Yes, that's one of the responsibilities of the Grihastas from his charity. And charity is simultaneously an austerity and a pleasure. Like celibacy is simultaneously an austerity and a pleasure. It's a lot of pleasure because it's a lot of freedom. So yeah, charity is the same thing. It's very pleasurable to give charity, isn't it? It's really, it's very, very pleasurable to give charity. But it's also an austerity. Because <laughs> one's thinking, I think I've got to keep this money for myself. <laughs> so in the Grahasta Ashram, you have the pleasure of charity, you have the pleasure of hospitality, you have the pleasure of thinking, I have my home, I have my money. What other kind of pleasures do you have in the Grahastan Shah? Children. Children. Children are a great pleasure. They're entertaining, they're cute, they love you. I was speaking with one devotee in Hungary who had uh, their first child rather late in life, and he said, I was always meditating on all of the difficulty. He said, but it's wonderful. He said, now that I'm a father, I love it. Yes, great pleasure having a child. And then, of course, there's the pleasure of the relationship between the husband and wife. Not only gross, but also subtle. The, the talks and the flirting between the husband and wife. Bhaktivinoda Thakur said, talking and touching between husband and wife is not a janasanga. It's not prohibited. So there's that pleasure. There's the pleasure of having your own money. You get to keep at least half of your own money. The other half you're supposed to give in charity. That's a kind of freedom. It's a different kind of freedom than the Brahmacharya has, but it's a kind of freedom. I have some money, I can do what I want. I can take a vacation, I can go to India, I can buy this, I can do that. Of course, Dr. Nautakur sings a song about that kind of freedom. What are the other pleasures of the Grahastasha? Lots of nice prasadam. The grahastas are allowed to eat the opulent prasadam. The renunciates aren't supposed to eat the opulent prasadam. Anyway, Prabhupada says all the opulent prasadam is supposed to go to the grahastas. That's all right. We won't tell. Any other pleasures of the grahastrasha? I was thinking, you were saying that the brahmachari can just do the nine processes. They don't have to dovetail anything. But one of the pleasures of the Grahastha Ashram is you get to dovetail your propensities. You know, if you have a propensity to do this or that, and you, you want to do something with it, you can do it. You can work as a Brahmana, Satriya, Vaishya, Shudra. You can, you can do something with those desires. Okay, what are the sacrifices of the Grahastha Ashram? You have to be very tolerant. 
Yeah, very tolerance. A lot of tolerance of your of your spouse. Of course, none of the people who are married here have anything to tolerate with your spouse, but most Rastas have to tolerate something with your spouse. There's the stuff you have to tolerate with the children. Children are a great pleasure, but they also require a tremendous amount of tolerance. They cry in the middle of the night, or they throw up in the middle of the night, or throw up in the temple room when you're trying to listen to a class, and you have to go home because they're sick with a fever, and you can't come to the temple for a week. Right? And then you get to enjoy a home. Doctor here really wants to enjoy his home, but guess what? You've got to pay for the home, too. You've got to maintain the home. You've got to take care of the plumbing and the painting and the mortgage and the rent. And, the... and you get to have your own money that you can spend how you want, but guess what? You've got to earn the money. <laughs> and you get to get energy from the wife. And guess what? You've got to take care of her, too. Right? She's giving you Shakti. Yes, I'm enthused to go and jam my rounds and do this and do this because I'm taking this energy from the wife and she's saying, oh, what a hero, but then i got to take care of her. She says, oh, I'm sorry, my washing machine's broken. I'm my second washing machine. The house is not big enough. Get a bigger house. Fix up this house. Okay, now that you fixed up this house, now I want a bigger house, now fix up that house. Up, oh, now begin on a bigger house. Now I need a bigger car. <laughs> so you get the end, right? And the woman, she gets the energy from the man. She gets the man saying, oh, you're so beautiful. I love you. I'll always take care of you. And she got to put up with the man telling her what to do. She says, why do I have to listen to this guy? It has to be submissive and obedient. For modern women, that's a big tapasya. What are some other sacrifices of the Grahasta Ashram? You're always distracted, right? You try, you're trying to chant Hare Krishna and you've got to make sure that your kid doesn't, you know, swallow the bleach under the sink. You can't just close your eyes and go into a meditative trance and, you know, you've got to be watching the children at the same time. Now, have you noticed something? Have you noticed that the pleasures and the sacrifices are two different sides of the same coin? Have you noticed that? Okay. What about the Vanaprastasha? What are the pleasures of the Vanaprastasha? Freedom. Freedom. And more freedom even than the Brahmacharya. Yes. Pilgrimage. Pilgrimage. You get to go to all the holy places. What else? <laughs> Children have grown up. <laughs> Do I sound like I'm speaking from realization? <laughs> Just a little aside there, that modern society's ideas marry as late as possible, that is not a Vedic conception. Vedic conception, Prabhupada says maximum age a man should marry, maximum age is 24. Also says maximum age a woman is 16. And Prabhupada says to marry after 30 is not so pleasing. So we say, if you can be brahmacharya your whole life, fine. But we don't say stay brahmacharya as long as possible because then people are marrying in their 30s and then your children are, you can't take one across to them in 50. Not possible. Messes up the progression of life. So, anyway, I know we're part of modern society and people don't even join the Hare Krishna movement until they're 25 and they need a year or two just to get their brain plugged into their spinal cord before they can even think about being a real brahmachari with the speaker of a grahasta. But still, a happier society is where, if you are going to get married, do it in your early 20s. That's a happier society. Have your children when you're young, and then, yeah, you're still reasonably young. You know, you're not yet in a wheelchair. And your children have grown up. Woo! And they're on their own. Change their nappies anymore and worry about them vomiting in the middle of the Sunday feast because they came down with a fever and that kind of stuff. Yeah, okay. What other freedom do you have? Freedom from home? You don't have to take to maintain a home anymore? See, Prajapati Doctor didn't understand Narayan Muni wanted freedom from a home. He didn't want to have to deal with the plumber. So you have freedom from home, you have freedom from taking care of your children, you have freedom from earning a 
living. You can go to holy places. Other pleasures are forgotten past Ashram. I'll tell you right now, my dear, that's not true. I've been Vana Prasana for 13 years, and I'm not free from all material desires just by taking up the Vana Prasana. Freedom from all material desires comes from one of those Krishna praying in the core of your heart that burns up the root of our desire to be in this world, my Krishna. It doesn't come, just come from changing the ashram. Uh, but certainly the desires are decreased. Why? Because you've experienced them. And you've seen that the pleasures have an austerity connected with them. That you didn't become happy uh, just by becoming a grahasana. Yes, definitely. All right, what are the sacrifices of the Manaprasta Ashram? Living in the forest. Of course, Prabhupada says we should live in Vrindavan. So I figure I'm living here in New Varshan at that chance. But yeah, the sacrifices were very great tradition. When you live in the forest, you only eat the food that's like tree ripened. You don't eat cooked food. And don't have a home, you're not even allowed to stay in a hut for shelter. You're supposed to keep the your house just to keep the sacrificial fire. And you stay outside. No care of the body, let your hair get matted, clothes get torn. If the husband and wife stays together, there's no even flirting talk that's finished. There can be service, but no even subtle sex life or husband and wife separate. And austerity, the main thing that the Vanaprastha is supposed to do is perform austerity. So the main thing the Brahmacharya is supposed to do is to? What's the main thing the Brahmacharya is supposed to do? Study! <laughs> Grahasta is supposed to? What's the main thing Grahasta is supposed to do? Give in? Charity. Perform sacrifices and have self-control also. Vanaprasta is mostly supposed to perform austerities. What about sannyas? What are the main pleasures of sannyas life? Preaching! And what else? Is preaching fun? You all like to preach? Is it fun? I hope so. It's pleasing Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and therefore we are also okay by one of the Kanda. One gets to just preach. What are the other benefits of the Sanya session? Even more freedom. Your, your freedom is, is gone up. Right? There's, there's freedom in each way in, in the different ashrams. But the sannyasi is fully free. The sannyasi is fully independent. The sannyasi is considered the spiritual leader of all of the other varnas in ashram. They can go where they like. They can preach what they like. And they're also free because of their austerity, that they don't care for any residents. We find the ghost mommies will even intentionally what Daksha's first singing for. They would do this intentionally and go to a different tree every night. What are the main things that a sannyasi has to do? Giving shelter. Hmm? I'm sorry? Giving shelter to others. They can. That's not a requirement for all sannyasis. Actually, the main people in, in Varnashram who give shelter are the Grahastas. In traditional Vedic society, the gurus are almost exclusively Grahastas. Because it's the Grahastas who worship the deities, and therefore the, only they can are going to be giving the deity mantras and engaging people in worshiping the deities. Prabhupada said in, among Vaishnavas, sannyasis also engage in deity worship. But traditionally, Prabhupada says in the Chaitanya Charitamita that not only can Grahastas give initiation, but even sannyasis can. So, traditionally, it was the Grahastas who gave shelter in that, in that world. Yes? Traveling? 
Uh, yes, I mean, as a part of Rajagacharya, although not all the orders of sannyas have to travel. But what are the main responsibilities for any sannyas? Mind, body, and words. To completely purify their existence. Complete purification of existence. And Prabhupada says cultivation of knowledge. Now this is different from the study of the brahmachari. Knowledge here means realization. Wisdom. Coming to a point of self-realization. Their main business is to become realized and to purify their existence and also they must be fearless. Fearlessness is great freedom, but it's also great jagya. See, the householder has a sense of freedom because they think, okay, I have my job and I get my salary and I know I'm going to be making $2,000 a month and there and I can do what I want with it. And the sannyasi has freedom because he's thinking whether I get money or not doesn't matter. Krishna sends me money, it's okay. He doesn't send me money, that's okay. He sends me a place to a tree to live under, okay. If he doesn't, that's okay. Whatever Krishna sends me is okay. Complete fearlessness. I'm just taking care. We were reading in Bhagavad Gita on Wednesday how the devotee will take any of this for Krishna but won't do anything for himself. Remember we were reading that? In the 14th chapter. To do that perfectly is real sinless. I just work for, I don't do anything for my own maidens. Nothing. What Krishna sends, I take. Krishna doesn't send. I don't take. So again, when we want to see how we're going to situate ourselves, we should be honest. Raghunathas Goswami says, the greatest impediment is deceit. Be honest. Where am I getting my pleasure from? What kind of pleasure do I want? And what sacrifices am I willing to pay for it? And then be properly situated in an ashram. And yes, you can take the pleasures, Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati says at the end of Brahma Samhita, as Krishna's prasadam. The pleasure you get from study, the pleasure you get from your children, the pleasure you get from going to holy places, the pleasure you get from just traveling and preaching, you take that as Krishna's prasadam. And you're willing to do these sacrifices. Don't mix and match. Don't try to secretly take the pleasures of the Grahasta Ashram by present and present yourself as a Brahmacharya Vanakasta Sanyasi. And don't try to secretly take the pleasures of the Brahmacharya Ashram or the Sanyasi or Vanakasta Ashram while presenting yourself as a Grahasta. This is what we also see. This is, you know, well, I'm going to marry you, but, you know, no chill. I want to make children. I won't earn any money for you. I want to take care of a house. You choose. And be properly situated. And understand that, again, what's going to be pleasure for me in my ashram and punishment for me in my ashram is not going to be pleasure and punishment for someone else in their ashram. So Dasha couldn't understand this. He thought, for me, having my home gone would be the worst thing in the world. But for Narada Muni, it was great. Ah, I don't have to pay a car. I don't have to pay a mortgage. I don't have to worry about, is, am I in a floodplain? You don't have to worry about maintaining a home. Great, fantastic, I can just travel with you. Now, the last thing I want to look at here is just... How, how, this poor Daksha. You know, he had this taste of Baba and he saw Lord Vishnu, and here he's calling Narada. What's he calling Narada? Abhadra, you're inauspicious fool. I thought I'd read, I was just hearing Prabhupada say this the other day, and it really struck me how it relates to this section that we're reading. This is the sacrificial ceremonies performed by Vasudev in the Krishna book. And this is where at the at Kurukshetra, after they finish their bathing in the eclipse and all that, all these sages come. And Krishna is glorifying them. And then what they say to Vasudev, because Vasudev says to them, what's the auspicious thing for me to do? And they say, everyone, even if born in a higher status of life as Brahmana, Satya, Vaisha, is certainly indebted to the demigods, to the sages, to the forefathers, to living entities, and so on. And in order to liquidate all these debts, one has to perform sacrifices, study the Vedic literature, and generate children in religious household life. If somehow one accepts the renounced order of life without fulfilling this debt, certainly he falls down from his position. Wasn't that that doctor's whole point? Right? If somehow one accepts the renounced order of life without fulfilling this debt, certainly he falls down in this position. Well, there it is, Krishna book. 
The sages are saying it to Vasudev. Of course, later they say, well, you know, you're Krishna's father, this stuff doesn't really apply to you. And they said, you've done everything but the sacrifice part, so right now you should do the sacrifices. So Vasudev and his 18 wives then were initiated into the sacrifices. My point is that Dakshin was right on one level. So sometimes we think that we're right, and we can even back up what we're saying in Shastra. And someone else is doing something that appears to be nonsense. And they're impeding our service. How should we deal with it? Should we call them an Abhadra Muta? You inauspicious fool! Should we curse them? Narada didn't mind being cursed because he's a Vaishnava, but it wasn't very good for Daksha. So what should we do? If we think someone's violating the scriptures and doing something inauspicious and acting like a mudha, what should we do? Yes. Pat him on the back and tell them not to do it again. Okay. Now one thing to look at here though, Daksha was right, but he was also wrong. Right? He was right from his perspective. Because Daksha did have to go through all of the steps and do all the sacrifices. He couldn't just jump to the transcendental platform. So he thought everybody was like him, just like he thought Narada would want home. So he was right but also wrong. Do you think we might be right but also wrong when we're sure we're right? Have you ever found that to your embarrassment? Everyone's saying some technical thing to my son who does all my technical work. And he said, Mata, are you 100% sure? I thought, uh-oh. So, you know, sometimes we're sure we're right, but it turns out we're not right. But what should we do? Some empathic listening sounds like a good idea. Try to see things from the other person's point of view. Remember, the whole thing we're talking about here is Abhavan Mandate Jagat. Thinking everybody's like me. So, you know, everybody's not like me. The whole world doesn't revolve around me, and everybody doesn't have exactly my situation. So try to see things from the other person's situation. How could the other person be right? <gasps> Goodness. Did Daksha ask that? Did he say, my dear Narada, on what scriptural basis are you doing this? And Narada would have pulled out that verse from the 11th canto of the Bhagavatam and said, here it is. One who surrenders to Krishna doesn't have any more debts. I'm working on a higher principle. You can ask the person, and not challengingly, like, okay, all right, what's your scriptural reference for this anyway, Prabhu? <laughs> you know, you, you assume, I, I told all my kids this in Gurukula, that if you think that you're right and someone's wrong, you say, I'm confused, and in your mind you think, maybe they're right, maybe they're right, maybe they're right, maybe they're right. Otherwise you can't say, I'm confused with the proper tone of voice. You say, I'm confused. But you think, maybe they're right, maybe they're right, maybe they're right, and say, I'm confused. Could you please explain to me why you're doing this, or why you're saying it? And you know, they might be right. Or it might be that sometimes they're right and sometimes you're right, just like in this case. Daksha's right for most people, but Narada was right for these people. And what should you never do, or almost never, unless you're dealing with an out-and-out demon, Call names. Don't call people Buddhas and Abhadrams. I mean, if you're talking about Dharma, that's okay. But generally, Prabhupada said, the more we kick out Dharma, the more we advance spiritually. So sometimes it's okay. You know, when Pandraka's Pandraka messenger shows up in Dwarka and, and says, you know, my master is actually Vasudev. Everybody laughs at him, and Krishna was very pleased with that. But that's, you know, that's unusual. Don't call people names. Don't insult people. Just because you know you're right and you have all the scriptures in your pocket 
doesn't mean we can insult other people. I like to speak about the devotees. If someone's a devotee, please don't insult them. So we come with humility, and you know, if Dr. had done that, then this story would have ended a lot better for him. In fact, as we'll see in the next purport, I don't want to steal tomorrow's thunder, but Narada's idea was he wanted to save Daksha too. The whole reason he was hanging around hearing these insults is he thought that let Daksha get all this anger out of his system. And then maybe he'll be also interested in the same Krishna consciousness I preach to his sons. Maybe I can help him. So if I have to give some criticism of somebody, it should be with some humility, with respect. Humility means that I might be wrong, willingness to see their point of view, never using insulting language. You know, sometimes we think if we use really insulting language, we'll, we'll move the other person to action somehow, we'll make our point more strongly, but all we'll do is entangle ourselves further in the material world. So here again, we're looking at that every situation in life has its benefits and its austerities. One should be situated according to one's own nature. One should be honest about that. And then as one moves through the different ashrams of life, one should not hold on to the pleasures and the sacrifices of the lower ashram. One should embrace then the, the situation that one is in and always move forward. One should understand people from their position, not judge others from my own position. And if I think that somebody is wrong according to my way of sin, I should present things to them with all humility and consideration and respect. Uh, without a culture of mutual respect, <laughs> there's no question of winning Krishna's favor. So thank you very much. I hope you found this interesting. And helpful if there's any questions, comments, corrections, chastisements. Anybody wants to call me Muda? <laughs> no, seriously, anything anybody would like to bring up? Thank you all, Gloria Sushilabha.